publication from the Bible Society. Uh, I want to see if this uh, resonates with you. Does this sound familiar? We all arrived in our cars that morning, much the same as we always did. We parked in the car park and wandered in the main door. I'd done this many times before, but this morning I thought I'd take a step back and have a real look at what was going on. People milled around in the foyer outside the entrance. Most of them were fairly well-dressed and polite as they made room for others at the main door. The staff members were well-dressed. <laughs> Not overly dressed, but dressed in a kind of uniform to show that they were running things. They were polite as they directed us to our seats. Those of us who were regulars had no trouble finding one. A few new people needed help working out where to sit. We let the staff help the new people. After all, that's their job. There was some Muzak playing for a while. And then after a short delay, one of the staff members appeared out the front and apologised that we'd be a bit late getting started due to a technical glitch. People sat in the silence mostly. Some read literature in front of them. Others mumbled to the person beside them if they knew them already. There was some more music and one of the staff members stood up the front and was speaking to everyone about some really important stuff, matters of life and death. At least they said it was a matter of life and death importance. It was hard to tell that was the case. The staff member didn't seem too emotionally involved or enthusiastic about the message. As I looked around, only a few people were listening and I figured that they were brand new people. Most old timers didn't seem to be listening at all. They fiddled with their leaflets, stared at the floor or looked out the windows if they had a good seat. After what seemed like a long time, we could finally get out of the uncomfortable straight-back chairs and walk around. Then there was some morning tea on offer. Tea or coffee in plastic cups and a couple of biscuits. And at the end of it all, relieved, we politely filed out the main door. As we left, the staff members spoke to every person politely, said goodbye and thanked him or her for coming. And as I watched this little interaction, I wondered if the staff members or the people really meant it. Or were they just being polite to one another? Was this just another time of going through the routine? And as I left the inner confines and made it out the front door, I had the overwhelming feeling, which I usually have, I'm glad to be out of there. Uh, what's he talking about? Anyone? Anyone? What's Year 12? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, I'll tell you later. Uh, but does that describe church? For you, it does for many people. Um, I don't know. Do you find it's like that? Do you know, some people rambling about stuff they don't really seem interested in matters of life and death. Uh, well, what is church? What's it about? What's it for? What does it matter anyway? Why even bother going? Over these next few weeks, as Dave said, we're going to be kicking around some ideas and answering questions about church. Is there a point to it? Uh, what should we be doing when we get together? How can we be good members of church if we're part of one? How, how do you work out if you're going to a good church or a bad one. How do you know whether to leave or is there ever a right time to leave? What's, what's a good church to look for if you're looking for and, and when should you stay even when it's difficult? And so it's vitally important that we start tonight by working out uh, the most fundamental question of what is a church? Uh, what makes something a church of God or not? Now I've got a bit of a show and tell up here. We can pop the first one up there, Rebecca. Uh, here's a photo of uh, Lakewood Church uh, with its auditorium that seats 16,800 people. Uh, slightly bigger than here. Uh, just, just maybe if we packed in. But uh, uh, that's the largest church in America and the Western world. 
uh, run by the guy who's on the TV screen up front called Joel Osteen, uh, who each week preaches Jesus' victory over sickness, Jesus' victory over your finances, Jesus' victory even over your marriage and so on. He's a little bit confused over whether God's going to judge anyone or not or whether God's got an opinion about things like sexuality or Islam or pretty much anything. Although the one thing he is sure about is that God wants to pour out his best blessings abundantly in your life through Jesus Christ today. So my question is, is that church? But that's nothing on the world's biggest church. Let's go to the next one. This uh, is the Yuido Full Gospel Church in South Korea, which boasts 830,000 members every weekend. 830,000 members. That's the main auditorium at one of their services. Uh, mind you, the pastor, David Yongi Cho, was sent to jail last year for three years for embezzling 13 billion Korean won from church funds uh, in a scam organised by his son. Uh, that's equivalent to 12 million US dollars or 16.5 million Australian dollars. Is that church or not? Is something a church because of, of what happens when you get together? If so, what are the things that make it a church or not? Is it, is it singing? Is it, is it the preaching? Is it liturgical dancing? Does uh, that make a church? Uh, if you've never seen liturgical dancing, here's the secret to it. You can do it yourself at home, probably your own bedroom, in front of the mirror. Uh, the secret to liturgical dancing for those high church people is always look at your finger, okay, your fingertip. Just, oh, oh, oh. there you go, that, there you go. You've learned the secret. That's really godly. Uh, <laughs> Does that make a church or, or is something a church because of the quality of the pastor who's running it or, or the people's intentions in getting together or is it the content of what's said and what's, what's done? Uh, St Ignatius of Antioch in 110 AD, um, he declared that where the bishop is, there is the church. Okay, so if you're not hanging out with a bishop... You're not in church. If you are hanging out with a bishop, you are in church, even if you're playing cricket. There you go. Uh, is that right? Do you need a bishop present for a church to be a church? Or, or is something a church because it's got church in the name? Yeah. How many people does it take for a church to be a church? Is it two? Is it 20? 200? 2,000? 20,000? 830,000? In which case there's only one. But uh, uh, does it have to be connected with other churches in a denomination to be considered a real church? Is a denomination itself a church or is it something else? Now, we call this organisation we belong to as part of a member you know, or group uh, the Anglican Church of Australia. It, it says it's a church, but is it? And the reason it matters is because Jesus loves his church and he wants us to love his church too. The church is who he died for who he rose for, who he intercedes in heaven for. The church is what he is building and what he describes variously as his body, of which he is the head, he, uh, the vine of which he is the root, his temple, his flock, his bride. And so if we really want to know what church is from God's point of view, we've got to see what God has to say about it in the Bible. The word church itself is actually a pretty common word in Greek. Uh, it's the Greek word ecclesia although there was a Greek lady sitting in church this morning who told me that my pronunciation was terrible, uh, that the emphasis should be on the second syllable. There you go. Ecclesia. Uh, uh, but it's a pretty ordinary word. You know, ecclesia, you get uh, 
the book of Ecclesiastes that's named after that word. It's a, a book about church. Uh, but it's a pretty ordinary, non-technical, non-religious word that just means in the Bible, gathering. It's a get-together. It's people hanging out with each other. And it can refer to any sort of gathering. In Acts chapter 19, uh, the word's even used to describe a riot that's taking place. Okay, The riot is the church who's getting together to bash the Apostle Paul to death. Uh, and so that's described as an ecclesia, a gathering, a church. And so if the word that's translated church in our Bible just means hanging out and assembly gathering, the real question is what's a Christian one? What's a Christian church? What's a Christian gathering look like? What makes something Christian or not? What's a church that's of God? And to start to figure out, I want to take us to two key places where God gathers his people together in the Bible. I want to take you to the first church and then to the final one, the first church and the last church, the ultimate church. And then we'll come back and think about church in the here and now. In the Old Testament, (laughs) the definitive gathering of God's people, uh, the first church, is the one that we read about that was gathered at Mount Sinai, okay, in Exodus. Uh, Four times in the book of Deuteronomy, that day, which was written, they were writing 40 years after the event, he looks back and says, that was the first day of the church. And he says that four times, Deuteronomy 4.10, Deuteronomy 9.10, Deuteronomy 10.4, Deuteronomy 18.16, if you want to look them up later. Stephen, in the book of Acts, also calls it that, the first day of the church, in Acts 7, verse 38. And when Hebrews 12 wants to contrast the ecclesia of the old covenant with that of the new, it looks back to that that moment, that gathering at Mount Sinai. (coughs) So what was the first, first church at Mount Sinai all about? Well, at the most basic level, it was just a a gathering together of all the people who God had redeemed, he'd saved out of slavery and called to himself. You remember they'd just been rescued out of Egypt where they'd been slaves for 430 years and been really, really terrible times and there'd been the great plagues and uh, then they passed through the Red Sea and then the sea closed in and smashed their enemies, all the, the charioteers of the Egyptian army drowned and everything was done by the mighty hand of God. And God called the million or so people who he'd saved to come together, to come hang out at this mountain where he would appear. But let's take a look at what Deuteronomy says about this pivotal gathering of God's people 40 years later. So Deuteronomy chapter 4, it's over a few pages from Exodus, so it'd be about page 120 or something, I don't know, I'm guessing. Um, Deuteronomy 4.9, I'll just bring my own Bible. (coughs) He says this, to the people 40 years later. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb. Now Horeb's just another name for Mount Sinai. When God said to me, assemble, that is gather, ecclesia, church, gather the people. Gather them before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. You came near and you stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire in the very heavens, the black with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of the words but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow and then wrote them on two stone tablets. 
And the Lord directed me at that time to teach you the decrees and laws you are to follow in that land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So why was it that God gathered them all those years before at the mountain? The point of it, the purpose of it, uh, of God gathering his saved people was to hear God's word. That's why they were gathered, so that God might speak to them. And at that point in time, he was giving them the commandments and the covenant and, and showing them how they were his people and what they were to live like. But it also had an ongoing purpose, that is that they could go on hearing and keep listening and learning, and not only them, but, but all the future generations as well, so that they all together might always fear God as Israelites. That is, they were gathered together by God to hear God's word so that they might heed his commands and live as his people, glorifying him in their lives and teaching the next generations the same things. And that's the prototype church in the Bible from which every other church service is ever mentioned is modelled on that. It's the gathering together of God's people to hear God's word in order to live changed lives so they might go on with God. But if you come over to Deuteronomy chapter 18, a few pages later, which also talks about this first day of the church, it says something very, very strange about what happened that day. Deuteronomy 18 Verse 15, about halfway down. He says, The Lord your God will raise up for your prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. For this is what the Lord, uh, sorry, this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb, or Mount Sinai, on the day of the assembly when you said, Let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see, see this great fire anymore, or we will die. The Lord said to me, what they say is good. I'll raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. <laughs> I'll put my words in his mouth and he will teach them everything I command him. Now notice again that the, the gathering, the church at Mount Sinai, at Horeb as it was called, was to hear God speak. That's why they came together. But even though they gathered to hear the word of God, what was the one thing they did? They said, shut up, we don't want to hear it. They put their fingers in their ears and went, no, 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 no. It's too scary. It might kill us if we actually heard it. They blocked their ears and didn't listen to the word, which, which kind of undermines the whole reason for being there, doesn't it? And as things go on, it's well and truly proven that even though they're all part of the group that God rescued out of Egypt from slavery, they're definitely not all his people. Some of them are, some of them aren't. Uh, just think. How many of the million Israelites who came out of Egypt actually made it into the promised land? Anyone know? Yeah? Two. Two out of a million people. Joshua and Caleb. The two who'd said, you know, yeah, there's giants in the land, but we can go take them because God's on our side. And, and there were other true believers, Moses himself, but, but the whole lot died in the desert apart from those two and some died as God's enemies and some died just in their wanderings and it was a mixed bag, a mix of believers and unbelievers. And so what God promised was that there would be another prophet, the prophet who God would send, who would speak to them but this time there would be one they have to listen to. They mustn't turn their ears from hearing him. And he's, he's talking of course about, well about Jesus the one who would come, who didn't just speak the word of God, but who was the word of God become flesh. I mean, we just had that in our 
Christmas readings, right? The Word was God, the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's Jesus. So I want to go to the other end of the spectrum then. If that's the first church, what's, what's the ultimate church like, the final church? Well, that's the church that's gathered around Jesus' throne in heaven, uh, at the one we read about in Roman, uh, sorry, Revelation 7. Uh, apparently it's missing from one of our Bibles. <laughs> uh, it's just one of a number of places that talks about this gathering here in heaven, uh, which... Uh, as John looks out, he sees this great vision of the future uh, and it's, it's a gathering of multitudes, multitudes from every tribe and nation and tongue and language. There's, there's no cultural background that's excluded or anything like that. Uh, it's a gathering of all those who are in union with Jesus, who are united to Jesus, those who have trusted Jesus and his gospel, and as a result, they've died and they've been raised up with him to sit in the heavenly places. And there they are, gathered in glory, at rest in his presence. Uh, the old-time theologians call that the, the church victorious, the church that wins, the church that's there at rest. And that's the ultimate reality of the gathering, the church. It's, it's the church that Jesus had in mind when he said in Matthew 16, I will build my church. I will build my ecclesia. That, that's the one he's talking about. As God's go, people go out with the words of God's gospel in their lips in the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus gathers his elect from all the four winds of the earth and assembles them around his throne forever to glorify him and to glory in him. And that's the ultimate church. It's entirely made up of the say. There are no, it's not a mixed bag of believers and unbelievers. They're all believers. There's no confusion in that church about who's his because they're, they're all living in glory with him gathered around, you know, uh, gathered around his throne in heaven. And that's the church which he describes as his bride, as his body, the, his temple, the church for which he died, and the church ultimately he will love and cherish forever. So it's quite different to the first church in lots of ways. So that's the first one and the ultimate one. What about church now? Which one is it more like? Is it more like the one that gathered at Mount Sinai where they all stuck their fingers in their ears and said, we don't want to hear it, or, or is church more like the one in heaven gathered around glory in God's presence? What do, what do you reckon? Why well, don't we take a vote on it? That's a bit scary. I'm going to ask you to do something. Now, who reckons it's more like, the church now is more like the one in Israel, uh, in the desert in Sinai? Okay, I've got one, two, three, okay, a few, a few going up. They saw David break and they went, oh, he must be right, I'm going to go with him. <laughs> he went to Bible college at some point. Anyway, uh, who reckons it's more like the one in heaven? You know? All right, okay, all right, okay, we've got a split vote, all right. Well, it's a bit like both in lots of ways. And there's, <coughs> there's two distinct ways that the New Testament writers talk about the church in the here and now. The first way uh, that the New Testament writers talk about it is it's kind of fallen out of fashion amongst evangelicals, okay, amongst people like us. Uh, we don't talk about it much. Uh, that is, it talks about the church as the collection of all of the Christians or who call themselves Christians across the world. It's not really a church because they don't really gather at any time, 
But it's talking a way of talking about all who call themselves Christians. Uh, that's kind of what the, the image of the vine is. There's, there's branches that can be cut off and there's branches that can be grafted in and, and things like that. The old-time theologians called it the church militant. There you go. The church that's fighting, that's at war. So the church victorious is the one in heaven that wins, but the church militant's the one on earth fighting now and it's always struggling. And across the world the church is. Uh, that church is, is a constant struggle. It's broken. It's divided. It's struggling with false teaching, with divisions. Uh, some of the church militant is suffering under persecutions. Part of it at any moment are doing really well and thriving. Some of it is about to be cut off. Parts of it aren't Christian at all and therefore have no part with Jesus or the church in heaven. But they've called themselves the church and, and they've called themselves Christians, but they're not really part of it. And so that's one way that the Bible talks about the church in the here and now. That's it's the minority way. But by far and away, the church that the New Testament speaks about the most is the local church. It's kind of like what we're doing tonight. As the apostles go out and people become Christians all over Europe and Asia, uh, everywhere it happens, churches form. Local gatherings of Christians who have heard the good news about Jesus, that he's died for their sins, they've, they've come and received forgiveness and life from Jesus, uh, and they're gathering you know, continuously, week to week, day to day sometimes, to keep hearing God's word so they can spare, spur each other on as Christians to, to love and good deeds to remind each other who they are and that, that Jesus is their Lord and that one day he's coming back and he's going to fix it all up and that the real church is the one there in heaven and so they need to persevere in their faith. And that's what they've gathered together to do, to hear God's word so that they can persevere and stick with Jesus. And so Paul writes to, to churches in Galatia and the church in Corinth, including the church in Corinth that meets in Stephanus's house there you go. It turns out there's lots of different little local churches in Corinth. There's not one big gathering. Uh, some are in houses, some are in rooms, and some are in other places. Or the church in Ephesus, which we know met from time to time in the lecture hall of Tyrannus, this massive secular or pagan auditorium which was set up for cultural learning in Ephesus. And so we can draw some very important conclusions from all that about what church isn't about what church is not. A church is not a specific number of people. There's no minimum. It's not, it's not numbers that make a church a church. In fact, Jesus promised that even if two or three are gathered together, a, a church that are collected, are assembled together, are ecclesiated in his name, he is there among them. And it's not the location that makes a church a church. It's not the style of building or the facilities. It's not uh, whether or not the building that they meet in has been consecrated by someone or not. Uh, they're certainly handy to have buildings, but we mustn't be confused. The building, this, this thing here, is not the church. I mean, you talk about going down to church and you mean coming down to you know, 84 to 88 Cumberland Road, but, but this isn't the church. We are the church and we would equally be the church if we met in a school hall or outside or you know, in each other's homes. 
Now, don't get me wrong, I'm really glad that we're here. Uh, and I'm really glad that the Christians in Minto 100 years ago had the foresight to buy a block of land here in the middle of the chicken farms uh, for future use. And, and then they eventually, you know, it took them 16 years to build the first church building, which was, you know, from that seat backwards. That was the original church building here, and then this got extended in the 70s by some other people. And it's really handy that we've got such a great facility to do stuff in. But let's, let's just call it for what it really is, okay? What, what is a church building? It's a rain shelter, right? It, it keeps us dry. It keeps the sun and the, the rain off us, you know? And it's great that we have it uh, and, and currently meets our needs, uh, but we've got the flexibility because we own it to, to change it around and to do what we want to it. Um, it's more than a rain, a rain shelter. It's kind of like a clubhouse, isn't it? It's like a sports clubhouse. You know, we get to come and do our things here. And it means that we're free to improve it or leave it, knock it down and rebuild it, sell it as we have need. Now, I'm not saying we should do any of those things. I'm just pointing out the fact that the fact that we meet here does not make us a church. And likewise, being part of a denomination does not make us a church. The Anglican Church of Australia might have the word church in the title, but that does not make it a church because a church is a gathering. And the Anglican Church of Australia never gets together because they had each other's guts, right? Uh, and when the, the heads of state all get together at the Anglican Church of Australia, they're just lobbing grenades at each other, right? Not real ones, metaphorical ones. Um, well, some of them wish it would be real. But um, yeah. and so it's an organised... What is a denomination then? Why do we have them? Well, at the most basic level, a denomination is a religious real estate agent, which sets up temporary rain shelters around the place. It's a collaboration. It, it does you know, big property deals, basically. Uh, they exist, denominations exist, when churches team up and cooperate together. They're, they're a collaboration between churches, but they're not in and of themselves churches. Nor is something a real church because it's connected to a bishop or a pope who authorises it. Uh, nor is a real church a real church because of the style or the liturgy or the lack of it or because of the music, you know, whether it's old-fashioned or new-fashioned or don't have it at all or whether there's instruments or not. Um, the Presbyterian church famously split uh, over whether there should be instruments in church because someone brought in this newfangled instrument called an organ that just blew their minds and they went, no, that's wrong. That can't be a church if it's got an organ in there. Whereas now we're going, it's got an organ, it must be a church. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, it's got nothing to do with those things. Nor is it a church because it has sacraments or not. That does not make it. All those things are, are good in their place, but they're trimmings. They're just extras. They do not a true church make. What a true church is, is the people of God gathered together for the purposes of knowing God, being reminded and taught the truth of Scripture so that they may continue to live life in trust and love, in repentance and obedience, not being shaken by the world, not being shaken by the temptations and the lies that are out there. Buildings can crumble, denominations can fail, bishops can lie and ministers make mistakes. Styles come and go. But God will still have his church. 
the distinctively Christian gathering or assembly that historically has come to be called church is made up of those whom God has saved and redeemed in Christ and who now in repentance and trust gather around him to listen to his word, whether it's from a pulpit or a discussion or however you do it, in order they may persevere and grow in holiness and righteousness. And what we think a church is or isn't really does matter so that we can start to think what is most important as we gather together. It it matters in how we think of ourselves and what we most value. It matters in what we plan and we think and strive to do together. It it matters in terms of what we're going to spend our corporate money on and what our priorities are. It matters because it determines what we do when we gather together. It matters because of how we consider each other as we gather and how we treat each other. It matters because of what we need to fight for or fight over. It matters in what we pray for each other. And it matters too because it means that we've got a tool for deciding what church we should be going to. How do you pick a church? I hope you don't have to do this for a while. (laughs) But how do you decide whether this one's a good one to be part of or not? How do you decide whether to leave or if you happen to move? Like Steve and Nikki were looking around Sydney for somewhere to live and things and they were checking out churches. How did they decide to come here? Oh, that's a mystery which we'll never know. But anyway, that's a <coughs> you can ask him after. How do you pick? How do you know whether to leave? How do you know whether to stay? Well, the three questions you should always ask are who, what and why. Okay. And if you can't answer those three questions rightly about the group, the the meeting, the church that you're checking out, then it's not a true church of God, right? Who? Are they Christians, basically? I mean, of course, there's going to be unbelievers in every midst because we're kind of like the church at Sinai. You know, it's a mix. But are the people generally people who trust Jesus? They're saved by grace. They they know God, you know, because if if most of them aren't, it's probably not a church. It's something else. Uh, what? What are they doing when they get together? Are they, are they gathering? Have they gathered to hear God's word in whatever shape or form they do that in? Are they, are they listening to the Bible? Are they reading it to each other or you know, sharing how God's been working their lives and, and stuff like that? Who, what and why? Why are they doing that? Are they doing it out of habit? Are they doing it because other people have dragged them along? Uh, Or are they doing it because they want to go on as Christians so they can encourage and spur one another on to fear God, to love and good deeds, so they can go on loving and trusting God and fighting the good fight of faith and come at last to that true church in heaven? Because that's the reason why you meet who Christians, what they're hearing God's word. Why? So they can go on, so they can spur each other on and encourage each other to live as Christians and go with God all their lives. Which is also why being part of a church matters so much. Because that's where we're strengthened and where we strengthen others to go on with Jesus. And I think we've done ourselves a great disservice over the last 50 years by saying, oh, you know, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Well, there's a truth in that, okay? You know, yes, coming to church does not make you a Christian any more than standing in a garage makes you a car, right? It, it, being here doesn't make you a Christian. 
But Christians go to church because Christians love Jesus and they love what Jesus loves and they think we're going to do what he says and what he says is gather together to keep encouraging each other. Otherwise you won't go on. Hebrews 10 urges us, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let's encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. That is church, according to God, is vital for our well-being spiritually. We gather in order to go on as Christians as we hear God's word together and we wait for the day of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ where the church on earth, as frail and divided and broken as it is, will finally be the church at rest, the church victorious, the church gathered around Jesus' throne in heaven forever, glorying in his presence. Well, let's come back to the testimony I started with. You know, the man who parked his car, went into the meeting, heard the music playing, heard the matters of life and death being spoken by well-dressed people who didn't seem to really believe it, people not listening, they paid no attention, and where, as he left the inner confines and made it out the front door, he had this overwhelming feeling, which he usually had, of, I'm glad to be out of there. Where was it? Here's his own words. As I walked out into the fresh air again, the last words I heard were, thank you for flying Qantas. <laughs> but of course, it's obvious I was talking about an airline flight. What other sort of meeting could I have been describing? Father, we thank you for uh, your church. We thank you that you are building it, that you've died to save it, that you are calling us together to heaven. And thank you that you are planting churches all over the world and that we can gather together in your name in freedom in this country for the time being to encourage each other. And we pray that we'll use that opportunity as much as we possibly can, that we might go on with you and that we might encourage other Christian brothers and sisters to go on with you all our lives as we wait for the day that Jesus Christ returns. We do pray that that day will come soon and that you'll end all the problems and <laughs> the destruction and hate that's going on in the world. But we pray, please, that before that day you will bring as many people as possible to know the Lord Jesus and receive forgiveness and join us in that great gathering in heaven. Amen.